Welcome to an encouraging word from Pastor Elliot Warren from Cross Culture Church in Houston, Texas. All right, well today I'm going to be talking about judgment in the house of God. Judgment in the house of God. There's a verse in 1 Peter 4, um, 417. It says, it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. It's time. Now, that word time could be season. It's the same word. It's the season. It's the time for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will it be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's an interesting thought. I want to just hit on that just for a minute here, but it says judgment's going to begin, and then he says, and but then if, it, if judgment begins in the house of God, what's it going to be like for those who don't obey the gospel? What an interesting statement. Most people think we're just supposed to believe the gospel, but the Word of God says in more than one way and more than one place, we are to obey the gospel. You see, there's a, an obedience to our belief system. Our belief brings us into obedience, right? So anyway, he says, he says, it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Now, there's another verse in 1 Corinthians um, 11, verse 32. It says, when we are judged, speaking of believers or those that are in the house of God, it says, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Okay, everybody knows what chastened means. Right, particularly if you're Latino, right? Because that's in that word sort of similar. So, um, if you're if you're chastened by the Lord, you're spanked by God, so to speak, um, that we may not be condemned with the world. Think about that statement right there. When we as believers in the church are judged, we are chastened. What's happening is we're being chastened by the Lord, so that we would not be condemned with the world. Wow. So judgment in the church is a painful thing, just like it is naturally, right? Nobody likes to be chastened. And I would actually say when God chastens, it's probably much more painful um, than being chastened by someone else, right? Um but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. God does it with a good thing in mind. What's, what is he wanting to do? He's wanting to bring our behavior in alignment with godliness, in alignment with what is right, you see. Now, I've thought, you know, is it possible that God could shake the, the church world in a major way? And I, and I really believe that it is possible. You know, not just individuals, but the church. Things that have come into his body at large that he would look down and say, this, it's time for me to deal with this. It hasn't been dealt with. It's going in the wrong way, and I need to deal with this. Now, the reason I started thinking about this is because recently I... <laughs> I've been hearing some rumors and some information and some accusations coming out. And um, 
I hope they're not true, but I thought, man, if, if these are true and it ends up coming out in a, in a big way, it would be such a shocker to the church world. And I was going, man, it would shake the whole church world. And um, of course, it's hopefully, again, it's not true, whatever. But as I was thinking about it, you know, my mind started going to what benefit might happen. And I was, I'm going, man, whether this were to bring a shaking or not, a shaking could definitely bring a huge benefit to the church world. There's no question about that. And so I believe ultimately you'll see a lot of things in Scripture where it shows God uses judgment. God's judgment is for the ones He loves. God's judgment isn't just for individuals. It is for churches, and it can even be for nations. But I believe if God loves this church, His church, which He definitely does, that He will at some point in time, when He decides it's that time, step into history, and He will bring a shaking that's going to be monumental that will awaken everyone. It's like blinders are going to come off. Everybody's going to see clearly and go, what were we thinking? And it's going to be like a, a, a new birthing, so to speak, of a new phase of the church world for this generation. Now, I've told you before, I've had times when, as I'm praying, I feel like God's going to bring the fear of God back into the earth. I mean, there's no fear of God in our nation. And I, I believe God's going to do that. I, I've, I've had times when I just, I, in inspiration, I'm going, man, something's going to happen. But I definitely believe God's going to bring the fear of God back into the church world. God's got to bring the fear of God back into the church world. Now, in Hebrews 12, it says about God that he's going to shake everything that can be shaken so that those things that cannot be shaken will be what's left. And in history, God many times has stepped into the church world and he has shaken it to clean things to cause it to become what he has wanted it to become. I believe that in some form we could say COVID somehow sh shook the church, you see. It shook the form of the church. And I believe that it shook the form of the church because God wanted us to break out of that form that is there. But not only has he shaken the form of the church, I believe a time is coming and God is going to shake the substance of what's in the church in, the, in this hour. I believe it's going to be radical. I do believe it's going to be major. And I believe it's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be also fearful, so to speak. You might not even be the one who's being judged, but I'm telling you, when it happens, everybody goes on their face, you know, in the fear of God because when God does something like that, it's just there's just an atmosphere of the fear of God that's everywhere. And see, God has done this kind of thing before. And I fully believe God's going to bring something that wakes up the church. I believe that the power and the glory is going to come back into the house. I believe we're going to have a church that comes back to God's intention. It's going to be a church that has fear for the Lord. It's going to be a church. The highlight of the church is going to be, man, they are so radically devoted. You can tell they love Jesus so much. They love to be with him so much. Look how they let, lay down their lives for him. Look how they love one another. Jesus said, you'll know my true church because you're going to see how much they love one another there. 
I mean, we're going to see that in the body of Christ. And we're going to see a church that sees the power of the cross and the message of the cross demonstrated. I'm not just talking about explaining the cross. I'm talking about the power of the cross working in the church again, seeing the dynamic results that the power of that message has in it. Paul said this, ministry that is in the wisdom of man nullifies the power of the gospel. It nullifies the power of the cross. That is in 1 Corinthians 1.17. Now, I want you to think about that. He has actually gone through a phase where it looked like when he was in Athens that he was trying to just win people merely through some arguments because Paul was a smart guy, knew a whole lot. And he comes to his next stop and he goes, hey guys, when I came to you, I decided I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I decided just to trust in God, not to, not to try to be eloquent, not to put on a show, not to try to go, oh, what a great presentation he made. The one thing I was wanting to do more than any other thing was make sure that the Holy Spirit was working through me, in me, and empowering the ministry. In fact, he says, when I minister, when our church is in ministry, what we want to see is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. We want to see God doing what God is doing. We don't want to see a good production. We don't want to see, I mean, I'm not saying those things in themselves are bad, but that's not the point. And if you've got that without the power, Paul says, you've got nothing. He says, again, I'll just say this, this is in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Ministry in the wisdom of man, the capacity of man, the, the brilliance of man, what he can put together, what he can do, the, the, the um, you know, messages he can you know, uh, outline, what, what not. Wisdom of man, power of man, the strength of man nullifies the power of the cross. What a statement. I mean, just think about that. Think about the power of the cross. And what it can do, the message of the cross. And just, I mean, it's only by the Holy Spirit. And how do you get the Holy Spirit in your church? How do you get the Holy Spirit in your life? How do you get the Holy Spirit in your preaching, in your, whatever you're doing? You've got to stay connected like this. You've got to have a life of obedience. And you've got to not depend on yourself. You've got to depend absolutely in God, on God, for God to move. You see, I thank God I'm not so talented. I don't have so much this. I don't have so much that. It makes me have to trust in God. Right? And, you know, even someplace, uh, Paul says this. He goes, you know, God likes to use people that aren't so very much this or that. You know why? Because that way you're going to know God did it, and they don't have any pride. They're not going to do it in their own strength. They're going to trust in God. Praise God. So if you don't have very much, you don't think you're very much this or that, don't worry about it. God says, you're the very one I'm looking for. I'll use you because you won't be so tempted to look to your own strengths. But anyway, in history, if you look through history, you'll see many times when God stepped into history, he pointed, he put his finger on the church and he said, I'm going to deal with that right now. I'm going to bring change in this area right here and you're going to have to deal with this right now or you're going to end up in trouble. 
He did that in Revelation. It's the first one that we know of in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Jesus comes and he meets with these seven churches. He gives a message to seven churches. And of those seven churches, five of them got rebuked. Five of them got corrected. Five of them needed to turn around. And he's saying, if you guys don't turn around, I am coming and it's not going to be pretty. You better turn around because I am jealous for my church. To one in Ephesus, he goes, you guys, you know what you've done? You're, you serve, you, you do this, you've got great doctrine, you've got all these good things, but guess what? You've left your first love. Now, honestly, if, I, if you would read the church in Ephesus, you'd go, man, they'll probably put most any churches today to shame. I mean, you can read some of the things they're doing there. Look, he's going, I know your works. Your, your patience, you can't bear those who are evil. You tested those who say they're apostles and they're not. They're liars. You persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my namesake. You've not become weary. But then he goes, but I've got this against you. You go, what? After all that stuff, you've got something against us? Well, it must be something sort of small. You've left your first love. Man, that's just the craziest thing to me. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Now, should you understand this? Those people would have not had any idea they'd left their first love. He didn't say they didn't love them at all. He said they, did, they didn't have the radical love that they used to have for them. And he says, that's the quality of love that I'm looking for. I'm looking for that devotion, that love you had for me. Man, you would have gone anywhere. You would have done anything. You didn't even think twice about it. That's what I want. What you have now, you're going in the wrong direction. You think I'm just happy with you knowing good doctrine? You think I'm just happy with a little bit of what you give me every week? The little bit of this, the little bit every day, the little three? No, I want you to go back to that radical devotion. I don't know what you used to do. Maybe you got up early just so you could worship the Lord before you went to work. Maybe you spent time, you know, at lunchtime, go, man, I got to get into some word. Man, man, that's just so good. I don't know where maybe each one of us have been. But God says, I love the radical love. I, that's what I'm desiring. And he says this. He says, if you don't fix that, I'm going to get rid of your lampstand. Now, you think God's not serious? God's very serious. And do you realize you know what it means to say to take your lampstand out? It means I'm going to, lampstand is the candle, you know, represents God being there. Guess what happened? That church was removed from the earth and for years and years and years and years, like hundreds of years. And in fact, they, I believe it's only in fairly recent history that there's been a, a significant church in Ephesus. God did exactly what he said. Why would he do that? Man, they're good people. Man, look at all they're doing for God. Man, look, they're, they're holding the doctrine. God says, no, it's not right. I deserve a radical love. I deserve radical love. Now, I want you just to think. Look at that church who's pure. Uh, there's not sin there. Uh, it's just a radical love that's missing. He goes, mm, man, that just grieves my heart so badly. Do y'all think I'm just happy with you giving me this little bit of your heart, that little bit? You think I'm just happy for the fight? No, I am not just happy. Some people will go, oh, God's just happy for any little thing that you'll give him. You're just making an effort. God's like, no, I'm asking for everything. I love you. I understand you going forward and dealing with issues in your life. I understand all the junk you've got in your life. 
I'm not even so worried about that. What I'm concerned about is, is your heart all mine, you see? That's what God's concerned about. He can fix all your mess. He'll clean up all your mess. He just wants all your heart. And then he goes on. I mean, there's so many other churches. You got the next one he goes to, the um, Pergamos and um, Thyatira. Uh, you know, he's both of these. There was, sex, there was sexual immorality in the church. Man, that, is, that upset Jesus. Sexual immorality in the church. And he says there are teachings in the church that sort of in that area are like stumbling blocks. So somehow what was being taught in the church was like a stumbling block and it enabled or didn't prevent people from committing sexual immorality or sexual sins. I don't know what those doctrines were, you know, but I've just wondered, it, it, I wonder if that happens today, you know. What were they saying? It's okay to, to sin. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about that. God doesn't care. Um, you know, God understands. Uh, God loves you anyway. I mean, what kind of messages make that kind of thinking possible. And I have heard so many times, I mean, God loves everybody. Of course he loves everybody. He understands, like I said, the junk you've come out of. He, under, he knows your skeletons. And he, he just loves to take you in and clean that. He's, he's not upset at you for that. He knows your struggles you're going through. But how many times you hear of people, they're in church leadership, living with their boyfriend or girlfriend and sleeping together, you know, or living living like that. And it's, it's as if that doesn't even matter. I'm talking about people that are even leaders. <laughs> you know, you're going, that's the craziest thing. How can that happen? And that's pretty much what was being said to this church. How can this happen? You see, now, I just would say this, that the role of the church isn't primarily to entertain. Entertainment's not sinful, but that's not the main role of the church. It's not to have an exciting service. It's not just to be professional. It's not to make you feel good. It's not to, to impress you with the organization, with all of this and all of that. That is not the role of the church. The role of the church is at least to help you understand how to please the Lord, what pleases Him, what doesn't please Him. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to love? How are we supposed to go forward? What does God want us to do? What does God not want us to do? What pleases the Lord? And we are learning how to walk in a way knowing what the will of the Lord is. So we shouldn't be ignorant, but we should learn what the will of the Lord is. Amen? And then there's so many other ones. Sardis. Sardis. He goes, you got a name. You've got a name, man. Everybody says you are the happening place. Yeah, man, you got this. It says you've got a name. You've, everybody knew about that church. But guess what? Jesus goes, but I know the truth. I know you're dead. Wow. Man, I bet that shook everybody. I bet they had big leaders meetings. And man, it's like, hey, so-and-so's coming to preach a word. They said they got for the Lord Fire Church. I bet it's amazing. And he goes, and he goes hey, you guys got a big name. You know, I could just imagine all the leadership team there that day. They're all going, <laughs> yes, we do. We've got it on our T-shirts. We've got it on our hats. everywhere, right? Man, you got a, you got a name. you got a name. Man, and, and then he goes, but God knows you're dead. 
man, I bet you go, oh, you're going to have a big leaders meeting when that guy leaves, right? It's like, oh, my, oh, no, right? Then there's Laodicea, another church. He goes, you're lukewarm. You're bland. You don't have that zest and fire in your life for me and the things of God anymore. Man, think about those things. These are things that God judged in a very severe way in these churches. And I would say almost all of these things are here in a very significant way in our church today, in our church world today. He ends that that little section where he's talking to these churches and correcting them. He ends it and he says this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, remember that verse that we heard earlier where it says when God judges us, he's chasing chastening us because he loves us. He says this to those churches, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Now, let me ask you this. If God says as many as I love, and he was talking to churches 2000 years ago, does that apply to us today? Yes, as many as I love. If he was rebuking corporate bodies in cities or whatever, will he rebuke and and work with and and speak to corporate bodies today? Absolutely he will. And you know what I believe will happen when God does that? If God does do this on a major scale in this nation, it will change the whole way church works. What used to be will be no more. Everything's going to be different. I believe the startings of that already happened with the COVID-19. I won't be surprised if things begin to go to the next level in the next year or two. Where, where after a season, we'll look back and we'll go, everything has changed in the church because God has rearranged everything. The values are different. The experience is different. The presence is different. The worship is different. Everything's different. Everything's become alive now. It's like it's blossoming. It's not just a one man or a group. or that. Everything's come alive. Man, there's so much life. Man, if you go to one of them's house, you experience it. If you go over there, you experience it. It's everywhere. It's that teeming, bubbling life that I believe was there in the early church and that was everywhere you go. I believe that's going to happen. How? I don't know how God's going to do it. I think it's interesting that these seven churches were all spoken to at the same time. You see, it's like it's a season where God says, okay, I'm going to just step into history right now and I'm going to judge these churches. I'm going to chasten these churches right now. There are certain times when God will look at the big picture and he goes, okay, I'm going to step in and now I'm going to deal with these situations. And guess what he'll do? He deals sometimes with a lot of them at the same time because he's dealing with a big corporate picture. Are y'all with me? And see, I can so easily see that happening. I can definitely tell it could be a blessing, even though I'm certainly not praying for it to happen. Now, I just want to give you a few illustrations that are in the Word of God that I believe they'll highlight um, what this looks like and, and where God's given us some pictures. Some of them, they're, they're given to individuals, but um, they can also be uh, extrapolated out to see a big picture. One of the illustrations that's given in the Bible is about a man who goes and 
and, and, and builds a house. One, there are actually two men building homes. One man builds his house, and he says um, he, he has built his house the right way. And it's talking about, um, I'm combining the natural house with the spiritual house here, right? Uh, well, he, he built his house the right way, and so what happened when the storms came, um, his house stood. And then Jesus says, the way to build your house the right way, you have to hear the word, and you have to do it. And then he goes, then this other guy, when the storms came, guess what? His house fell. Why? Because of storms. Because of storms. And why did the storms make the house fall? Because it wasn't built right. He also heard, but he didn't do what he heard to do. Now, that is, that is such a great illustration. And I believe that there's a lot that's in the Word of God that is so clear that we're not doing in the body of Christ. Um, so, so much of the Word of God. And you see, I believe that there's that element of those who hear, but we don't walk it out. Now, there's a psalm, it's Psalm 32, where um, God's speaking to people who are following him. And he says, don't be like the horse uh, who y- you have to put a bridle in its mouth. He said, and then another verse in Isaiah, he goes, um, you're going to hear a voice. Take a left, take a right, right? That's the way we're supposed to be led as Christians. We're walking along. We have a relationship. God nudges us and we go, hmm, we don't, we shouldn't have to have reins in our mouth where God has it. And we go, okay, I felt that God. You know, or God, you know, okay, God, but, but praise God, if you've got range in your mouth, at least you've got something there where God can direct you, right? But God's like, I wish you'd be a little bit more sensitive to me where I won't have to do it like that. Well, this guy here, he doesn't even allow the reins to get into his mouth. He hears, he knows what to do, but he's like an unbroken horse or mule who won't even allow the bridle or bit to be put in his mouth. He knows what ought to do, he ought to do, but he won't do it. So how, how can we describe this individual? I would say stubborn, not yielding, wanting to do his own thing, bucks at being bridled, unbroken, self-willed, and wanting to be in charge. You see, when we don't get those things broken in us, we are not going to do God's will right. Amen? And I would just say, I believe that in the body of Christ today, there's some kind of something where God's serving us and we're doing our own thing. And God wants to get in and break the, the unbrokenness in our life. And he wants to um, cause us to have submissive hearts that are wanting to do his will, that are not only just having a bit to pull us, but we're so wanting to do his will. We're so close to him. He just has to think it and we'll go do it. You, you see, but again, God's going to have to break that stubbornness. And I believe what God's going to do in this hour is call for the storms to come and everything that has not been built on a good and right and strong foundation of the word of God and obedience to it and walking this thing out, hearing the voice of God, being sensitive to God and walking it out. Everything that has not been built by the Holy Spirit with the power of the cross involved, all of that is going to come tumbling down. 
Now, I want to say this too. This is exciting to me. God doesn't have a problem causing something big to fall any more than He has a problem causing something small to fall. Y'all might know there was a church around here not, you know, a few years ago that uh, they're building a huge building. And um, they got part of the way done. And um, they had the foundation there. They had some beams up. And a storm came. And guess what? It fell over. It fell over. And everybody was going, wow, what if they had finished the building? And... There were people inside. I mean, the building, I think, would seat thousands. And some people are going, wow, that's symbolic, actually, because a lot of people have built on a wrong foundation. And when the storms come, God's going to expose the foundations. You know, before God's storm comes, you often won't know where there's a good foundation. Actually, one house might look much more nice than another one. If you were in the market for a house, you might go, wow, that's an amazing house. But then when the storm comes, it might be flat on the ground. And maybe the other one you passed over is still standing. Sometimes it takes the storms and things that happen in life for you to be able to see clearly what's what. And I believe that's going to happen. There's another illustration that I think illustrates what happens when God comes in and brings judgment. In, in Corinthians, there was this sexually immoral man, similar to some of these churches that were in Revelation. And um, he, had been, he was a believer, or he had been a believer, says he was a believer, and he was still there in the church. And Paul's going, wait a minute, this is the craziest thing ever. The guy's a believer. He's not trying to get out of his sin. He's just going to continue living like that, and he keeps coming to church. By the way, that's one of the craziest things to me, how people are living like that, no desire to change whatsoever, and they keep going to church. I mean, why are you going to church? Are you trying to, you want to figure out to go to church how to serve the Lord? You're not even doing the little thing you know to do. Anyway, so Paul's going, wait a second. This guy keeps coming to church. He's living like that. He's not trying to get out. It's not like he's a worldly guy just trying to go, hey, is this true or not? No, he's a believer. He knows better, and he's just decided he's going to live that way. Paul goes, get him out. Get him out. And why do you get him out? Because you hate him? No, because you love him. First of all, you get him out. Why? He says the hope was that he would repent and turn back toward God. Of course, if you do that today, guess what? He's just going to go to the church down the street, and they'll be so happy, right? But not back then. He got out. He was out of the church. It was a big deal. And what they were trying to communicate with him is, you can't keep living like this. This is serious business. We have to do something about this because you're just being stubborn and don't even want to change, right? But the second reason why he said to do that is because he goes, because of the effect of leaven. He said, if you allow that to stay, do you not know a little leaven will leaven everything? You allow that to stay? First of all, another year or two, you're going to have 10 couples sleeping together. And then the messages will start changing. And then this will start happening. He's like, deal with the leaven. If you deal with the leaven, the whole lump will be holy again. You see, in this hour, I believe the Lord is looking down. And I believe there's... Leaven in the church 
There are things that have been accepted that have not been dealt with. They're polluting the church. They're having a leavening effect on the whole church body. I believe that. It's influencing in a major way. And I believe that the Lord Jesus sees the leaven and he goes, hmm, I've got to deal with the leaven and extract it so that it will no longer influence the bigger lump and work in a way that brings everything down, you see. I believe God's going to deal with a lot of these things. He's going to deal with a man-centered gospel. He's going to deal with what we call worldliness. I'm not talking about, you know, the way people used to say, oh, people wearing makeup. No, I'm talking about a worldly attitude, just about just this world kind of stuff. It's all about this world. It's all about stuff. It's, a, you know, just, just this world kind of stuff. Man-pleasing gospel, man-centered gospel, that's got to go. The God-centered gospel is coming back. The no standards of righteousness kind of leaven, that's got to go. The weak gospel that's produced weak Christians has to go. The fleshy gospel that's produced fleshy got, Christians got, has to go. God wants His church back, and He's going to pull the leaven out so He can have the church that He wants. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul goes, Hey, um, you know, we're going to be judged one day. And then he talks about uh, people who've built certain things in their life. And he talks about ministers and people building ministry. He says, some, they're working hard. They're building gold and stones and, and, and silver and precious things. Things that can't even be burned in the fire, right? And he says, but others are building with hay, wood, and stubble. And he said, now, when they're judged for their work, they're going, it's going to be like they've lost everything. You know, and we go, oh, poor ministers. They've been building with wood, hay, and stubble. Everything they've built is gone. That is sad, isn't it? You know what's also sad? Where they built that? Where'd they build that? Where'd they build that? Hello? Where'd they, where'd they put that wood, hay, and stubble? In people's lives. Are y'all with me? They're building with wood, hay, and stubble. There's people. They're getting wood, hay, and stubble built into the, the, their system of who they are. Stuff that'll just get burned up. And that's, that's sort of sad to me, right? Now, I don't want to sound like it's all the preacher's fault because it says in Timothy that, there's, that there are times when people heap up for themselves people who will tickle ears. That's, that's one word. It says they won't endure sound doctrine. By the way, why do you have to endure sound doctrine? You ever hear say, man, I really endured church today. Whew. Hopefully it's not because it was just boring. But enduring sound doctrine is it's because sometimes truth hurts. You see, and if all you have is a happy don't ever make you feel bad, gospel. That's exactly what um, Peter um, was talking about earlier. And it's what was in what Paul's talking about when he's talking to Timothy. He says there's some some of those situations where they just they're, they don't they're not willing to say the things that you need to hear to get rid of the cancer in your life, spiritual cancer, to get spirit, to get rid of the junk that's there. You see, Paul's like that needs to be dealt with so that you can. You can be free. But anyway, it says these people um, uh, won't endure sound doctrine. 
They don't want to hear it. They'll go to something they like. But they will heap up for themselves teachers that only make them feel good and will accommodate their fleshly desires and lust. I'm just saying, when we go to church, sometimes you, you want to be able to go there and go, ouch, that hurt today, but that was, that was really good, right? Because that deals with something on the inside of you. And believers love that because they, might, they hate it and they love it. We hate it, but we love it, don't we? And we go, that's exactly what I, oh, it felt so bad, but man, I so needed that. We can say it felt so bad, but man, that was so good, right? Because if we love the Lord, we welcome that. We want that. We want those times when God gets in there. But it says there's a time when people, they don't want that. All they want is to just feel happy every time, to have fun every time, to have something exciting every time. And he's going, church isn't just about that. Right? Last illustration here. It's simply about pruning. You know, God says, What's pruning about? Y'all remember? You remember the, uh, why, why you prune? Um, why do you prune trees? The reason why you prune is you're pruning a tree so that you can take off the unproductive branches and so that the productive branches will produce more, right? The goal of pruning is more fruit, even though you're cutting things back. Isn't that right? Now, did you know that the parts that you prune are the parts, th- the parts that are growing without fruit? Did you know they grow the fastest? They have the most leaves. They could be the most beautiful branches on your whole tree. But they don't have fruit. Wow, it's really amazing. They take it, they suck up all the energy. But it's all going to leaves. It's all going to show. It's all going to impress. And God goes, you know what? That surely is sucking up a lot of energy. It's impressive. But it's not producing the fruit I want. What does he do? He cuts it. And when he cuts that down, boom, it's painful. Ouch. It was a big something. But guess what happens? Healing takes place. And the fruitful branches produce more fruit and grow even more. Right? And then what becomes beautiful isn't the branch, so to speak. It's the fruit. The fruit of God. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I just want to encourage you. I'm looking forward to whatever might happen in this upcoming season. You know, even even if we don't see these things and I I I seriously will not be surprised whatsoever if we see them in a major way in the next year or two. But even if we didn't, uh, I believe that God can deal with us. God can deal with our lives. God can deal with our church. And we can be separated from the influence. We can be in the world, but not of it. Amen. We can have the power of God working in our lives. We can have the power of God in our church. We can have the power of God in our little groups that get together. Amen. And we can see the power of God change and transform lives. You know, that's really what it's about. I hear so many people. I mean, they might be going, you know, one really common thing when you ask somebody how they're doing in the Lord. (laughs) You know, and they'll tell you what what church they go to or who they listen to online or something like that. Uh, That's so common for people uh, who uh, who aren't able to go. 
man, I'm doing great. I'm so excited about God. Man, uh, man, God's been talking to me. Man, I had a great week. Oh, my prayer life last night, this happened. Oh, guess what? Oh, I was in the Word this morning, and oh, it was so good. You see, when you're, when you're following the Lord, that's what life's like. Man, what I got, oh, what I got this morning. Oh, man, in my prayer time this afternoon, oh, I was blown away. It's a, it's a regular thing, right? It's just God's always given us something. There's nuggets in the Word. There are experiences in prayer. There's inspiration. But when you don't have that and you're a Christian, it's not, how you doing? Oh, I'll go to so-and-so church. So how you doing with the Lord? How's your faith? Oh, I'll go to so Oh, I listen to so-and-so. So how are you doing? Where are you? You all right? You growing? Have you been encountering God yourself? <laughs> you see, that's what God wants to bring everything back to. That radical devotion makes the gospel alive for everybody. If you're not experiencing God like that, if you don't have that radical love, something's wrong. Maybe you've got some leaven in you from what you've been around. Maybe you've got some leaven in you from the atmosphere that's in this world, that's in this nation. Maybe it has rubbed off on you. I want to encourage you today. Wake up. Wake up and squeeze that stuff out of your life and press back into God. God says he wants radical devotion. He wants radical love. He wants you to press past every little thing that's pulling you. Sometimes we might know, oh, I'm just holding on to that in our subconscious. God's like, I want you to let go of everything again. I want you to be willing to let go of everything again and move to wherever, do whatever, live for me, trust me, be radical in your devotion again. That's what I'm looking for, and that's what I'm going to bring about. If you'll go there, I'm going to go there with you. You remember we've been studying that? God says, if you'll take the step, I'll meet you there in a major way. Pull away from the things of this world. Pull away from worldliness, fleshiness. Pull to God and watch what God does. Amen. Well, Father, we want to thank you. We've been called to know you, to walk with you. Lord, we've been called to be sanctified, pulled away from the things that would pollute us and pulled unto God so that we can live for you. So, Lord, we pray today, God, um, and we give our lives to you. We say, Lord, we want to love you, God, and we're going to make a decision to love you. Lord, we know from your word, love isn't just an emotion. It's a decision. And we know that it's your will. So, God, we're going to press ourselves in to doing what pleases you because we want to please you. We want to bless you. Father, we hear that word today, God, and we just pray, Lord, help us now as we devote ourselves to new levels of radical love, of pressing into God, of an experiencing God in this life. Lord, help us and show us how to do that. God, connect us with that. And Lord, as we take those steps, Lord, lead us, lead us and bring us from step to step. Lord, we thank you for doing this. Thank you for hearing our prayers. And Lord, we do confess our weaknesses today. Father, we confess, Lord, we've been, we believe we've all been influenced by things in this world, by the leaven that's in the church and this nation, and maybe the leaven of other believers. And Father, leaven that now maybe we've even helped be a contributor to that, where, where we've said or done things that weren't, weren't right. And we've helped in the process. But God, from today, we pull out of that and we go, oh, wait a minute, Lord, we want to be separated. We want to be different. We don't want to be running after just success, money, stuff, relationships. God, you're first, you're foremost, you're everything. Lord, we just give everything to you today. And Lord, now we pray, please hear our prayer and you help us walk this out in Jesus name. Amen.